0: Welcome back to the Righteousness mini-series on the Good Line Podcast. Next up, you're gonna hear a conversation between me and Char Broderson. Char the pastor of Refuge Christian Church in Santa Rosa. And Char and I don't really know each other super well as adults. We only met once or twice as kids, but our dads actually worked together at one point, and my family ended up moving into their house after the Brodersons left for England in the 90s, and my dad took over Calvary Chapel Vista. Since then, we've struck up a friendship and I've really enjoyed his perspective, so I wanted to bring him on the show to talk about the concept of righteousness. So in our discussion, we talk about self-righteousness, Paul, the Pharisees, and how they're actually tragic figures. And then the conversation turns to a strange passage from the Old Testament about a priest that kills two sinners in his congregation with a spear. As we break down this story, we take a look at how confusing, honestly, the idea of righteousness can be when it seems that God has one standard of what is righteous in the Old Testament and a different one in the New Testament. And so we see where the truth lies and how we need to view the entire story of the Bible through the lens of Jesus. I had a great time discussing this with Char, and I hope you'll be blessed by it as well. So with that, here's my conversation with Char Brotherson.
1: Hey, Aaron, Uh, great stuff. Uh, I'm really excited about this conversation. I'm Char Broderson from Refuge Christian Fellowship in Santa Rosa. And um, just talking about righteousness and the way that it's already been defined here, I think is uh, very biblical and beautiful. And then, yeah, it begs the question okay, then what does self righteousness look like? And I think, again, going along the lines of the Old Testament, definition of Setica, right relationship leads to right behavior. Um, it, it, to me, it's like when you get into the New Testament, we're finding the, the Pharisees and the way that Jesus is talking to them, it's almost like they're just one step removed from this understanding of righteousness. And that leads to self righteousness, you know, it's like you take, um, you know, your, your trajectory just a little bit off. You know, in just a matter of time, you're just way out there. And that's what I see happening. Because, you know, when you combine the Beatitudes, but then also the teachings of Jesus all throughout Matthew, is that the Pharisees are missing a heart-level relational righteousness with God. And that is causing them um, to look at the law in bullet points, doctrines, uh, boxes to be checked, rather than a relationship to be lived out you know so they look at the you know like you said you tied mint and cumin but you've forgotten the weightier things of the law like justice and mercy and those are going to be the the relational aspects of uh of righteousness right Is is doing justice is sacrificing my time, money and resources for the worthless person. Um, and so anyway, all throughout the Gospels, you've got this group of people that are seeking to establish their righteousness um, apart from this relational aspect. So I think we're really, we're really getting into more the nuances of this uh, already in this conversation.
0: Hey, Char, great stuff, man. Seriously, thank you for adding to the discussion. Um, We're talking about the Pharisees and uh, that just brought up to mind something I heard a pastor said. He talked about how the Pharisees were some of the most tragic characters in the biblical story. And I had never viewed it that way before, but he just kind of drew out this reality of, you know, they get a bad rap. The Pharisees are often the butt of the joke or the sermon illustration. But these were guys who were actually trying so hard to be righteous. These are guys who were thinking, You know, we love Yahweh. We want to do all that we can to follow his rules and keep his commandments. And they saw themselves as, you know, the protectors of the people, the protectors of doctrine. They were the guardians of what was right. And it's, it's tragic because they got so wrapped up in trying to be right and so wrapped up in the one side of the coin where righteousness is only just doing right things. They missed out on the other side of the coin, the, the right relationship with God offered to them through Jesus. They couldn't see it they were they were just blind and i think we see this you know in the pharisees in jesus's day all the way up to saul you know the pharisee who later becomes paul it's it's tragic i mean, I mean what do you think
1: so i think one of those nuances that we find is uh we're often talking about paul as someone who is self-righteous he's a pharisee um And and we we put them in almost these terms of being, you know, a bigot, a racist, um, holier than thou, Bible thumper. And uh, I mean, maybe maybe some of those ideas are true to some degree. But, you know, when you go back to the Old Testament and see um, where the Pharisees are getting their understanding of righteousness, it's actually very biblical. uh, And that's the hard part. Paul says that he had a zeal for God, uh, and he talks about that actually a, a few times. And this term zeal, I think most of us know this, comes from uh, the story of Phineas. Remember when uh, the Midianites have gone in and they have uh, seduced the men of Israel, and they've brought them into their gods, and now they're they're worshiping before their gods, and they're committing you know sex, all sorts of sexual immorality. And then there's this one. Um, guy particularly who brings uh, this midianite woman right in front of all the elders of israel as they're mourning over the sin of israel he brings them right in front of her and just basically kind of taunts like yeah like we're going to go in this tent and like we're going to fornicate so like <laughs> try and stop us and phineas sees this and he grabs a spear chases them down and thrusts both of them through and it says that um this act that he did stops the plague the destruction, the wrath of God, and God says, this is righteous. And so, Paul and his contemporaries, um, they see, as, as, as did Judah Maccabee, that it's this kind of zeal that will stop or end the wrath or the judgment of God, because the Pharisees and the second temple Jews see themselves as still being in exile. And so they believe that if they have zeal like Phineas and put a stop to the unrighteousness in Israel, uh, they can bring about the end of exile. If they can do righteousness, um, these acts of righteousness, they, they can end the judgment. And so I think we have to kind of start talking about that because I think sometimes we just kind of paint with a broad brush about what self righteousness is and look at the pharisees they're the you know the great example of self righteousness it's it's more nuanced than that so i don't necessarily have an answer to that right now but i just think that that's really important to start there
0: i totally agree and something i would add is you know the pharisees they obviously missed out on this right relationship with god that god had always intended for them and that's that's why messiah came that's why jesus came to bridge the gap between god and man and that bridge is right there in front of these guys. And literally, Jesus is standing in front of them, but they they constantly fail to see it. They constantly fail to take that first step to cross over. But we do see amazing stories where Jesus breaks through this self-righteousness. You know, Nicodemus is a Pharisee who actually lets his guard down and approaches Jesus with real questions about what it means to be born again. And of course, Saul doesn't stay Saul. He becomes the Christ follower, Paul. But for the most part, it just seems like these Pharisees allow their self-righteousness to keep building this wall around their hearts that actually keeps them from the true righteousness they're looking for, that that right relationship with Yahweh.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, when you look back at the Old Testament, there's hints of this, you know, Everybody that I've ever heard teach the Book of Nehemiah focuses on like building a wall, and like they're going to do it for their church program of you know uh, new building or new ministry or something like this. Okay, well we're doing this, and so let's talk about building a wall. But if you actually combine the stories of uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, which the Jews do, actually the whole point of the book is you can do everything. You can you can reform Israel. You can teach the law. You can do all these things, but you desperately need the new heart. That God promised in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Without that, it's an empty shell waiting to be filled.
0: Right, yeah, the, the new heart is such an important concept. It's like the corrupt old heart that we have before Jesus creates in us this wall of separation around us. And we crave right relationship with God, but we don't find it. So instead we fool ourselves with self-righteousness. We think, because I've done this, this, and this, you know, God must now accept me. But we don't realize that the thing keeping us from God is actually the prison of our corrupted, self-righteous heart. And the only thing that can free us is the new heart that Jesus gives us. Hey, for a minute, I want to touch back to that story you told from the Old Testament about Phineas, the priest that catches two people in sexual sin and then kills them with a spear? I mean, for me, that just raises so many questions. Like, I had a friend recently who came to me with this story, and they were like, hey, what do you even do with this? It's it's like a total struggle because in my mind, it's like It just seems like there is a difference in behavior in the way that we act out the idea of righteousness in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, like in the Old Testament. You know, if a priest sees people sinning in his church, according to this story, he grabs a spear, murders them, and he does this out of religious zeal. And you know, I went back and reread the story and it seems to imply from the way that the story is written that the author thinks that God is okay with it. Like, God is just. And, and, and it's presented as like, oh yeah, these people sin and the priest kills them. And yeah, I mean, it had to be done. It was the righteous thing to do. It's how it should be. And, and now God will spare the Israelites because of almost this human sacrifice that's been made. But I mean, I just <laughs> like post Jesus, post New Testament, it just seems like things are so different. Like, think about this, if one of us who are pastors did the same thing, you know, if we saw people in our church committing sexual sin, and so our response is we grab a gun and shoot them, we, we murder them, and we say, you know, I did this because I had zeal for the house of the Lord, First of all, I don't think anybody in our congregation would approve of that. No one would be saying like, oh yeah, that was that was so righteous of you. No, people would be calling the cops. And furthermore, I don't think that our God would look at us and say, what you did was righteous. So, I mean, the question I think people have is, what's the difference? What changed? Did something change between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Did God's standard of righteousness change? Does God now see sin as less important? Like what's going on here? Because the priest in the story who kills the sinners seems to be portrayed as righteous. So why do we not see anywhere in scripture that Christians are called to execute sinners in this brutal kind of way? What what changed? These are just the kinds of questions that I think about, and I'm sure a lot of non- Christians think about them too. So what do you think?
1: Yeah, great question, Aaron. Um, so uh- I think, so looking at the Old Testament, it, you know, we do this, right? we like, well, here it is in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, it's different. So let's just take the, the story of Pharaoh, for instance. Uh, you know, we always kind of get into the Calvinism, Arminianism debate with this. And rather, step back and look at it. God gives Pharaoh 10 chances to repent, to turn around, to recognize uh, his authority, his power, um, yeah, his sovereignty, and Pharaoh refuses. And and so God brings judgment on Pharaoh. And so this is what God does with the Israelites. This is what God does with the Midianites. Remember, he says to Abraham, listen, I'm going to give this land to your descendants of the land of Canaan, but not yet because the iniquity of the Amalekites is not yet fulfilled. And we're going to have 430 more years. God already knows it at that time, but 430 more years Um for the people there to repent and to do righteousness to do justice but they don't and so god brings judgment on them and israel becomes his instrument of judgment and i think that that's what we see going on here in the story with phineas is that god's people know they've been taught clearly what yahweh requires of them they've been told multiple times listen you do not mingle with these people they worship um, demons uh these are not just um you know idols uh, that, that are um powerless but these are strong divine beings that they are giving their loyalty to and you will you will you know enter into all their sexual immorality these are the people that burn their children in the fire all sorts of just inhumane vile things that offend God and offend his righteousness. And God has told them clearly about this thing. And the, the people of Israel, the first opportunity they get, they intermingle, they do this. And so God brings judgment. Then I think it's what we see with Pharaoh. It's what we see with them. It's obviously what we see with the nation of Israel uh, in the land of Canaan is that you know God sends prophets Uh, again and again and again to them but they refuse to listen and so God brings judgment ultimately ends in exile now with the gospel we have something unique and I am NOT a dispensationalist but I do believe that because of the coming of Jesus we do we are living in a dispensation of grace we are living in a time where God says listen I have opened up the kingdom uh, the Passover lamb has been slain. Any and all who would seek pardon and to be with God can come and can have their sins forgiven, can be brought into the kingdom and the rule and reign of God. And I think we're living under that era of grace where God is pardoning sinners. He's welcoming them in freely. But the Bible clearly shows that there will be a day for those who have rejected God that God will bring judgment. And so it's like what we see in the Old Testament. It's grace, 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 God offering this and offering this and people rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. And finally, there's a point where God says, okay, you've rejected my offer of grace. I'm going to give you over to what you want, whether those are the gods that be, uh, but that will end in judgment. Some people define this as, you know, judgment is just kind of evil turning in on itself. I personally think that from a biblical standpoint, god is active in judgment he's the one he is the judge who brings righteous judgment so um i don't know i think i hope that helps a little bit just in understanding that portion of scripture Uh, i heard d.a carson recently say that you know we often juxtapose the you know the god of violence in the old testament the god of grace in the new testament he says if you actually look at it um it, it is a continuing story where from Genesis to Revelation, the righteous, uh, the righteous judgment of God and the grace of God are both just increasing until you know they culminate at the end of Revelation.
0: Oh yeah, fantastic, Char. Thanks so much, man. That's a great point about God as a judge, and it reminds me of a Tim Mackey sermon I heard at Door of Hope called "So Righteous." He talked about how righteousness is less about right behavior. And it's more about right relationship, which is the entire main point of this series. And then he started talking about the different relationships that God has with humans. For instance, God is Father. He fulfills that relationship by creating and providing, guiding, caring, protecting. But then he brought up another relationship God has towards humans, which is God is judge. And he gave this illustration of a robber, like somebody breaking into your house to rob you. He says... If someone goes into your house, breaks in, and steals your stuff, if you're in a courtroom with this guy and he's standing before the judge, do you want the judge to downplay it to say, oh, you know, it's not really that big a deal. So he stole a few items. Who cares? It's fine. He can just go free. Is this what we would want? And he says, no, that that is not what we would want. That's not actually righteousness because what righteousness means, it's it's right relationship and it's people doing right by one another. It's fulfilling the roles of the relationship they have to one another. So for the judge in the community, he has a relationship to you and to the community and to the criminal. And so by him just letting the criminal go free and not actually helping you in your situation when you've been robbed, he's not actually doing justice. He's not doing right by you or the community, or even the criminal. Letting the criminal go free without any repercussions is just going to enforce in the criminal's mind that he can just go on stealing from the rest of the community. So it's important to touch on this reality of God as judge. It's it's a part of God's right relationship for him to judge humanity, and yeah, even punish sin. And the question to ask is, do we want a God who allows evil to just run wild? Or do we want a God who will do right by his humans by stopping the disease of sin, by preventing it from spreading and even curing his humans from the sickness? It's important for us to remember that he is the one true judge who is able to judge the world justly. And it becomes even more mind-blowing to me when you consider that even though, according to his judgment, we all deserve death, that he's chosen to offer every human a way to be saved through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. He judges us not against our rights and wrongs, but against whether or not we receive his free gift of amnesty. He's not this angry judge. He's a father and a judge. He's a father first, but he is a judge as well. And every father truly judges his children when they do wrong things. If the father's a good father, he's going to step in to guide and correct, protect the child from the evil influence in their life. And that's the kind of judge that we have.
1: Okay, so, so when Jesus starts talking to the Pharisees then about their lack of righteousness, it's interesting that he basically is saying, you say you are with Yahweh, yet you're neglecting these distinct characteristics of Yahweh that are justice, mercy, steadfast love. And so again, it comes back down to that relational aspect. And I think that that's where it's the zeal without knowledge uh, that Paul talks about later. So the Pharisees had a zeal for God, but they've forgotten the weightier things. They, um, my professor at Western, uh, Gary Bashir, he would say that you, you're doing mosaic righteousness, but you're not doing Abrahamic righteousness. And Abrahamic righteousness is uh, loyalty to Yahweh. Uh, it's trust in the promises of Yahweh when that doesn't make sense. Uh, it's obedience by doing tzedakah and mishpat, uh, righteousness and justice. And it's looking for provision from Yahweh. And so he he just defines it like Jesus is trying to fill up the Pharisees righteousness, you know, and you'll notice that many times, you know, he doesn't condemn them for the for the things they are doing. But he's saying that you're missing the heart element to this. And so, you know, maybe that's where, you know, we begin this conversation about self-righteousness is that it is righteousness without heart. It's doing the right things simply because they're the right things and not because of a love of God or because of a right relationship with God or a love for humanity or a right relationship with humanity and we see that I mean that's why God does all that he does is because he loves he loves people and he wants to be in right relationship with them
0: So my wife and I just started watching this show on the BBC. It was this really rainy season and we were definitely missing Downton Abbey. So we were looking around for shows that were similar and we stumbled upon this show called Father Brown. It's the show about a Catholic priest who travels from town to town solving mysteries. And so we were like, well, he, he's a pastor. He solves mysteries. It's beautiful. England will give it a shot. So. We're watching it and we're watching the pilot episode, which was titled The Hammer of God. And in that episode, a man gets murdered. And it turns out it was his own brother who also is a priest in this little town who killed the man. And basically what happens is the priest is up on the roof fixing the church bell when he looks out and sees his brother involved in a homosexual relationship with a man. And this priest is so filled with rage that he throws a hammer off the roof and kills his brother. And Father Brown is investigating and he ends up catching this other priest. And they're having this conversation about what happened while they're up in the bell tower. And during that conversation, Father Brown asks the other priest, why did you do this? Why did you kill your brother? And the priest responds,
1: my brother is dead, but it was by God's hands, not mine. I shall not repent. Yes, but by the guilty conscience? I have no such thing.
0: I answer to one higher power, and he will judge me righteous. And then Father Brown snaps at him and says, Righteous?
1: Using his name to
0: justify your
1: malice? No. Your actions were yours and yours alone. Look into your heart, you know it's true. Thank you for the counsel, Father. I'll be leaving now. You can still be saved. Are you willing to take that chance? God will save me. God he's not your scapegoat.
0: If you have a shred of conscience left in you, you will do the right thing. It was a super powerful scene. And I'm not sure if we're going to keep watching the show, but the scene stayed with me because... Char, I think a lot of non-Christians very often can have issues with those of us who try to follow the Bible. And rightly so, because they think, okay, these Christians tell us to live biblically. But in the Bible, we have people killing one another with spears for committing adultery, which seems barbaric. And then when you ask Christians, they'll just say, oh, you know, that was the Old Testament. We're living after the New Testament, the Age of Grace. And I think it becomes clear why so many don't take Christians seriously. The problem is the people on the outside don't have all these pieces to the theological puzzle. And so it's important that we don't just teach people that they can just randomly flip to any Bible story or verse and find magical wisdom that tells them how to live. They need the context. Very often, non-Christians or even just nominal Christian churchgoers can look at the Old Testament and when they hear us talk about how Israel was an instrument of God's justice, when we have stories of the Israelites torching cities to the ground and killing women and children, it can seem to people just as outlandish and strange as the story I told about the priest murdering his gay brother with a hammer for his sins. Man, it's a tough, tough topic. And I'm with you, but the the difference is because we've studied this stuff, we have the context. I, I know what happened in Eden. I know what happened at the flood and the exile from Egypt. And I know where the story is headed in the New Testament with Jesus on the cross. And I'm just trying to point out that the definition of righteous, when you look at the Old Testament, it can be super confusing, especially if we're dealing with people who don't study the scripture and the context As a whole for themselves oh
1: yeah absolutely right and this is the problem we have a biblically illiterate culture using the bible to critique a biblically illiterate church so what do we need to do like you said we need to teach you know well thoroughly um all the doctrines of the bible and i think we need to do it not in a systematic way but in a um, biblical theology you know from genesis to revelation tell them the story teach them Um, about you know the great points in the storyline from creation to fall to israel to jesus to church to the culmination and what god is doing in that story and what has changed and i think this is what paul is arriving at when he's in galatians you know so paul understands through you know the appearance of jesus on the road to damascus that messiah has come in the person of jesus he is born the curse, uh, the exilic curse, <clears throat> foretold in Deuteronomy 28. He's born that in the cross, and now it is a new era of grace, where the Gentiles are being brought in to seek the Lord. God is pouring out His uh, Spirit like He said He would do in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, giving us new hearts. And so now we're under this new era of grace, and I think that that's where He He gets rid of that self righteousness and that zeal of Phineas because you realize God has done it. God has brought about the true righteousness that the law was pointed to, but could never fulfill. He's done it through the work of his son and by the giving of his spirit. And I mean, this is all there in Galatians, so. But that's kind of what I was saying a minute ago, just about that 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 dispensation of grace that we're living under now. It is... It is come with Messiah but it will it will, you know that grace will in a sense end um, or maybe we should call it patience you know kind of like what uh, Peter says that some of you look at you know God and what is he doing how come he hasn't come back to judge the world and you see this as God being slack concerning his promises but God is patient not willing that any would perish but that all would come to repentance and so we're living in that day and age right now where we do not take up the sword, but we point to the one who, you know, was put under the sword so we could be brought to God. But don't think because, um, you know, Christians are not the instrument of God's judgment right now. Don't think that God is slack concerning his promises of judgment. Don't think that God has changed his requirements of right relationships look at Jesus look how he was crushed uh look at revelation and how God will set everything right one day and he will do it with judgment and so I think those are the things that we have to you know bring our people to realize and and it's hard because we're living in a day and age where more and more and more you know we're just kind of moving the boundary out further and further on you know what's actually sin or evil or unrighteousness and so you know you know, you, I mean, we don't even talk about abortion as murder. I mean, it's like, gosh, if the Amalekites and Amorites and all these guys were guilty of great unrighteousness because they burned their children in the fire, what about America and what we've done to the millions upon millions of children that we have slaughtered? And God is going to require that, He's going to judge that one day. Um, but. Until then, he offers this grace and forgiveness through, yeah, through Messiah.
0: Yeah, you said it, man. I could not agree more. I commend you for taking a stand on the issue of abortion. It's so easy for us pastors, honestly, to ignore it because it's such a sensitive and controversial topic and it's a culturally charged one. And I'll admit it's it's hard for me to talk about it at times, but I, I will now. It's, it's so fascinating to watch how our culture fluctuates in and out of understanding righteousness. So those of you listening, remember at the core to be righteous means to be in right relationship with God and others. But remember this at one time in America's history, slavery of African-Americans was seen as righteous. Seriously, you can find old sermons where pastors, Christian pastors, are preaching about the goodness of slavery and and why it's right according to the Bible, which we know now is obviously not the right interpretation of scripture. But back then, it was seen as righteous. Nearly everyone was doing it, it was so normal. And obviously, You know, we know that enslaving and abusing other humans is not righteous because it doesn't honor the relationship God intended for humans to live in harmony and to love one another and live in unity and to live in respect for one another. We now live in an age where everyone including non-Christians for the most part, agree that we were wrong about slavery. We were wrong about racism. And now you see secular progressives fighting for this idea of equality and righteousness. But then on the flip side, we have, like you mentioned, abortion. We have a culture that says the righteous thing to do is to allow humans the dignity and freedom to eliminate smaller, weaker, defenseless humans for whatever reason they want. If the child is a burden in any way, whether that be a financial burden, a psychological burden, a burden to the freedom of the individual, then society tells us the righteous thing to do is to allow the killing of that human to, to release the mother from the burden. But this, this is not righteousness. Killing humans because they're inconvenient or a burden is not honoring the right relationship God wants us to have with other humans. And it's, it's the deepest perversion of the parent-child relationship. It's, it's not righteous either towards the adults who advocate for complete and total abortion freedom because by teaching a culture of humans that murdering someone to free yourself from burdens is somehow just and right, we're doing a great harm to these people as well. And so we see this twisted parallel, just like it was once accepted that slavery was righteous, we see the same lie being embraced today with abortion. the more that we as humans buy into and believe the false standards of righteousness we set for ourselves, the farther away we get from true righteousness, true relationship with God. And my hope, because this is honestly a really bleak place that we're in as a society, my hope and prayer is that one day God will do a miracle in this world. And one day all people, whether they're Christian or not will look at abortion with the same disgust as they now look at slavery. That's that's my hope, at least. So to wrap us up, I want to touch on where I'm at. My current process of parsing through some of these discrepancies between the Old Testament and New Testament depictions of God. And I wanna address the question, is God the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Where I'm at right now is, yeah, I would say he is. He is the same. He's always been the same. He's never changed. And where I go to in my thinking on the issue is the concept of plans, plans and phases. Like if I have a plan, it it most likely is gonna have steps or phases. Most likely, I'm going to operate differently during the different phases of the plan. And depending on the phase, my behavior might change. The way that I address a problem might change. But I'm still the same person, and I'm still in the middle of my same plan. There's just different phases. So if I operate differently, it doesn't mean that I change the plan remains the same the entire time. I'm the same. I'm just in different phases of the plan. And we see in scripture, right from the start of the Bible, God has this plan. His plan is righteousness. It's right relationship with humans. That's his goal. And then they break the world. They sin. They mess it all up. They break righteousness. They break the right relationship. And so, well, let me say this. I totally welcome any critique from anyone listening to this. If you Disagree or have questions, shoot us a message on the Goodline Instagram. And I'd love to chat because I totally could be wrong about this. But I'm just sharing my current perspective based on my study, where I'm at, and my thoughts and prayer on this issue. So I I think I grew up with the concept, with the idea of sin as sort of this judicial concept. God is a judge, we broke the law, therefore we must be punished. But the way I've come to understand sin is oftentimes we're only looking at one side of the coin. I think sometimes we miss so often that the nature of sin is a corrupting disease. It's something that right from the start corrupted humanity, the earth, the human genome, right down to the very core of who we are. Sin nature doesn't just mean that we are born with a temptation to do quote unquote bad things. It means that from birth, we are filled with this dark, destructive force that crushes everything in its path. And the only cure for the sickness of the soul is Jesus. And so I see God throughout the Bible as a God who is not an angry old man with a beard in the sky, who's angry that humans are breaking his list of rules. No, I see him as a concerned father who does not want his children to die from sickness, And so we have these moments of God punishing humans and eliminating sinners that when we look at it from the ground level, it seems to be extremely harsh. And it kind of makes God seem bipolar. You know, one minute he's offering mercy and grace, and the next he's wiping out people. But if we get away from the ground level view and then see things from a bird's eye view, we see the big picture. God is like, this skilled surgeon who's cutting the cancer of sin out of humanity. He's saying, I'm trying to save humanity. So at times I have to amputate some of these really corrupted and infected parts of humanity, because if I don't, the disease will continue to spread and corrupt everyone. It's, it's this heart of compassion. It's not God as a cop in the sky saying, I'm gonna punish all the lawbreakers, but God as a loving doctor, who has a dying humanity on the operating table. And he's amputating and cutting out sin to keep them alive. And then eventually, he completely heals them by giving them a blood transfusion from himself to save them. From the very start, he wanted to rescue us and was willing to sacrifice everything for it. And so, with that kind of framing, when you look at the story of Phineas and the spear, if we're reading the story literally and believing that God was actually involved, we can say that in that moment, God allowed Phineas to kill the people caught in sin because it was an amputation that needed to happen. Similar to in Joshua when they kill the man Achan because he stole. Because remember, sin is not just a list of bad things. It's this corrupting force and it can easily infect an entire group of people. And the cure of Jesus dying for sins has not yet been developed or discovered. So in the Old Testament, God allowed humans to die for their sins in specific moments, but it's in service of keeping the story going to allow Israel to stay alive in the desert because there's a future for Israel that God knows is going to bring the cure to all humans. In the Old Testament, God punishes humans for their sin, but right from the beginning of sin, God doesn't want to punish humans by killing them. He desires a day when he never has to punish humans this way ever again, because he himself is planning on taking the punishment of death himself once and for all on the cross through Jesus. And so consider this fast forward to the story of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus is standing next to her and she's just committed the same sin that the people in the Old Testament story of Phineas did. In the Old Testament, what do they get? a spear but in the new testament what does jesus give her he tells the men who are ready to stone her to death to leave and he offered her forgiveness repentance a new life a new start did god change was it that he's he's violent and vengeful and wants to kill people with spears in the old testament but in the new testament he's all about peace and love and forgiveness no he was always planning for this to be the way for jesus to be the way The way for humans to come to God with their sin. And instead of receiving death, they're offered a cure. It's it's beautiful. God did not change. It's not that God the Father was like, yes, in my kingdom, we stone people and spear them to death for their sins. And then Jesus was like, no, dad, that's harsh. Let's forgive. No, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit have always been working together. And the plan was always Jesus. But as we read the story of the Bible, we often find ourselves reading stories that happen throughout many different phases of this great plan. We have to remember, God always wanted to work towards the cure, the ability to show endless mercy and grace. I like the term you used, Char, the, the dispensation of grace. It was the goal Jesus had in mind right from the start. And that's where we find the woman caught in adultery. If her story was in the Old Testament, she probably would have been stoned but because it happened during the phase of the plan where Jesus was able to say, I'm going to amputate all sin and create a cure. It's going to be okay. The option of grace is on the table for this woman. It's it's not just the woman, it's not just for the woman, but it's for humanity. Jesus could say, instead of dying by a spear or by a stone, you will live by my mercy. And Jesus gives this woman, and by extension, All sinners, an invitation to go and sin no more and enter into right relationship with God, which allows us to have a new heart, which then leads to right behavior. And so I'll finish by saying theologically, this principle is so important to me because people are asking this question. And I think it's so important to help people understand God does not change. He had a plan, it was always Jesus. Whenever we read the stories in the Old Testament, we have to remember Jesus was there in every story and he was working towards his plan to come and rescue and redeem. We should not look at these stories in isolation and say, oh, this is what God is like. Instead, we should look at the stories as a part of the big picture and allow it to show us that God is like Jesus. All these stories in the Old Testament are a part of one big story that reaches its climax at the cross.
1: Oh my gosh, Aaron! Yeah, dude, this is this is it. I mean, yeah, you're. I think you're right on the money. Um, so David in Psalm fifty one, right? Um, he is concerned with um, um, transgression, which is normally our definition of sin—breaking the law breaking the commandments, but he uses three descriptions of sin in there. He, he, he uses the word sin, he uses the word transgression, he uses the word iniquity. So iniquity is the Bible's way of saying that humans are twisted. Uh, we're, we, we're sabotagers. Uh, we're t- turned in on ourselves, and we have this inner twistedness where we, we desire things that will hurt us, Even the people closest to us, we'll hurt them. There's something twisted and wrong about us, just deep inside us. It's almost inexplicable sometimes. And then there's, of course, uh, transgression. We see commands and, uh, you know, do not do this. Your spouse tells you, don't talk like that. And what do you wanna do? You wanna talk even more like that. I'm gonna do it even harder because you told me. So that's (laughs) transgression, just this desire to, Um, to disobey, to go against. It's that uh, autonomy. Nobody tells me what to do. And then there's sin, which is a way that we often used to talk about um, this brokenness as well. But I mean, that's basically the way the Bible talks about it. We're not what we should be. We're broken. Uh, We fail. We're uh not what god created us to be and these are the three working definitions that the hebrews you know used for sin and i think that's a really thorough way to understand and kind of like what you were saying to understand that humanity is broken lost um sinned against sinners and and so god is working to redeem and i like what you were saying about like yeah the cutting out of the cancer and i really think that carrying that story forward as you are doing and i think you're, you're doing it really well um but i think galatians again is just that's the money right there because even paul looking back at the old testament he's like okay i was seeing this is the only way to get god's righteous approval and to be in right relationship with them is through the zeal of phineas and yet paul says and yet the scriptures also speak of another way the just shall live by faith The righteous shall live by faith, and he, and the scriptures keep saying this is almost what Paul's saying. Like, there's another way. There's this way of Phineas, but there's also this other way that God's hinting at, and I think that that's what you're, you know, talking about. That there's there's this deeper plan of God, and that is to redeem, and that comes through those who will look to God for righteousness, look to God for salvation, and to put this relationship with humanity right. And, Yes, along the way, God does cut out the cancers that are going to destroy humanity. That's the Amalekites, the Amorites, and so on and so forth. Um, But now we've come to Jesus, Messiah, and it's through trust and faith in him that we are made righteous and now we live out that righteous life. So anyway, all right, I am actually going to jump off now, but great, fun stuff. Love doing this. So thanks for inviting me to do this with you guys.
0: Hey, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. It is so good to be back. We are excited to be producing more content for you guys. Good Lion is a production of Hasid Creative and the Calvary Global Network, CGN. We're a nonprofit podcasting ministry run by a team of volunteers, and we seek to bring quality, Jesus-focused content to the body of Christ. For more awesome podcast content, as well as articles, educational resources, and more, Check out our website, goodlion.io. And if you want to support our work, please visit goodlion.io support. If you like what we're doing, please leave us a review on iTunes or drop us a message on Instagram or Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We will be back soon with another episode of the Good Lion podcast as Brian Higgins and I finish out the Righteousness miniseries. Thanks, guys.